This is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us Americans, cutting edge mental health knowledge. My name is Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Washington, D.C. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Dr. Burke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor, still in Port Moody. And I'm Joanna Boyd, a psychotherapist in Port Moody. I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from Coquitlam. Yay! And I think it's safe to say all of us Canadians are wishing we were in Washington, D.C. as well. Yes. So yes. what some people might hear when Ryan speaks a little bit is some background, and that's because he's in the... What, what would you call it? The, I was going to say Fourier, but maybe that's a more of a Canadian term. <laughs> we use that. We use that. The lobby. We'll just say the lobby. The lo- of- thank you. I fully couldn't think of lobby. There you go. Yes. Um, I'm not really from Washington, D.C., but I'm in Washington, D.C. for the Psychotherapy Networker Symposium, which is taking place right now. Uh, it's, uh, it's Thursday night. And this is the first day of the symposium and what they call Creativity Day. Um, and it's just, the symposium is a, is a collection of psychotherapists from around the, the world, really, who uh, come here. Usually three, 4,000 people come descend upon DC and uh, hear from some of the, the big names in the field and people who are doing interesting, innovative stuff and share some of their insights. And it's it's always a very practical uh, conference. They, they really emphasize, they really want people to, to come away from this conference knowing some new tip, trip, uh, tricks and tips and tools to, uh, to help serve their clients. So this is a big, a big time. And also, this is the place where the four of us met. Yay. And uh, Ryan, how many years ago was that? If I, did you already show your badge? I haven't shown my badge. This is my 12th year attending. We actually met 11 years ago. So you know how the math works on that. But we met right here. And in fact, where I'm sitting, we met like five feet away from where I'm sitting right now. It's very, As- very true. We were, we're up the late. only ones still awake. Yeah, it was it was Chris and Brooke. It was Chris and Brooke. I I think right. I met Ryan at the year after the I don't know a uh, year after that. I'm not too sure. Yep. Yeah, but. we were there uh, with my colleague from school, Teo. So Teo was with us that right. first year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for those who are uh, able to watch us uh, through YouTube, this is a bit of the lobby area here of the. Omni Shoreham Hotel in Washington, D.C., kind of old school, classic charm stuff here. Um, and right around the way here, just to do a little name dropping, the uh, Marquee Lounge is where a lot of people kind of hang out after the conference. And sitting back in there, you probably can't make it out, but not. None, none other than the semi-famous Esther Perel is in there chatting with colleagues and enjoying the night. Um, and what do you think Esther Perel is most famous for, Ryan? Well, she wrote a book called Mating in Captivity. And uh, 
and did a very, very popular TED Talk. And uh, she's kind of known for highlighting the kind of the changes that are occurring within uh, relationships, intimate relationships. Um, she's not, she gets criticized as, because people say that she's promoting these changes in intimate relationships, things, things like non-monogamy and polyamory and that sort of thing. But she's just actually reporting and saying, Here, here's what people are doing and how can we help people have kind of satisfying, healthy relationships uh, within these changes. So she's, she's become pretty famous for that. There's, she has a podcast called uh, Where Shall We Begin or something like that. Uh, it's also been very famous. She's, she's, she's well known. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of, bunch of folks who are kind of household names for some people, at least for psychotherapists. Joe Court just walked by. He's a, a sex therapist as well. Who's the keynote tomorrow? So Friday morning, for those who have never been, is kind of like the big morning with a big keynote address. Uh, some Saturday is typically all the keynotes on Friday, Saturday, Sunday are kind of bigger ones, typically. Do you know who the keynotes are this year? I consult my calendar. I know that uh, one of the keynotes is Emily Nagoski. Actually uh, with her. She wrote a book called She Comes First. This is another sex book. This is not a sex conference, by the way, but there are a lot of uh, sex <laughs> therapists. I out that way. In there, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Um, Emily Nagoski is speaking tomorrow, and um, Stephen Hayes is speaking, who's uh, known for uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is another kind of uh, well-known therapy approach. I'm, I'm not all that familiar with that. You guys know a little more about acceptance and commitment? Wait, is that who you watched on the trauma thing, Brooke? Is that him? Um, or is that, his name is like Glenn or something? I don't know if it was Stephen Hayes. No, it's not Stephen oh. Hayes who was on the trauma thing. Okay. Um, yeah, but he was another uh, acceptance and commitment acceptance and commitment therapy guy but yeah no I'm a I'm a fan of that line of work I think sometimes you need to be with strong emotional dysregulation so go and yeah there's a lot of a lot of folks who kind of yeah, have a big following and kind of know what to talk about so it's a it's a good conference and I'm very sad that you guys aren't here with me maybe next year Maybe next year. Uh, a few other names: Sue Johnson, um, uh, Romani Durasalva, who is an expert. Uh, Sue Johnson is is, is uh, the kind of founder of emotional emotionally focused couples therapy. She talks. She has a book called uh, "Hold Me Tight," which is a very popular book when it comes to couples therapy and trying to help people. Uh, improve intimacy within their relationships. Um, Romani Durasava, as I mentioned, she's uh, an expert with narcissism and talks about basically someone who's partnered up with a narcissist and kind of what they can do uh, in their relationship. Uh, she would say, leave if you can. <laughs> That's kind of her, her thing, leave if you can. Was say, can't. Wasn't that her that said like, yeah. leave if you, yeah. 
get out. Yeah. Yeah, get out if you can. And if you can't get out, then here's some things that you can do maybe to minimize the, uh, the impact. Yeah, there's, there's some great folks here. So oh, is there a like uh, good time? Yeah, is there a dance party tomorrow night? There's not a dance party tomorrow night, sadly. I know that's you, uh, your favorite part of the, uh, the networker weekend, uh, the dance parties. There's not going to be a dance party uh, due to COVID, I believe. So there won't be that. But there will certainly be a lot of impromptu conversations between clinicians, people talking about uh, what they do and where they do it. It's a very, very nice, friendly sort of atmosphere here. And it's Washington D.C., so I tend to play hooky sometimes when I uh, when I come to these, and because there's a lot of cool stuff to see in D.C. Oh, so cool, so fun. Yeah, Smithsonian. Remember the time that you uh, stole my playbook before I had an iPad? I had like a BlackBerry playbook, and Ryan stole it and took pictures of it around town. It was like on a slide, and you guys went to the tattoo shop, and you went out for lunch. And so yep. throughout the conference, I got pictures of Ryan taking my tablet around town. <laughs> Your tablet saw more of DC than you did that day. That's for sure. It's very true. We had a lot of fun, that tablet. We had a great time. <laughs> yeah, good time. And if, uh, if any prominent clinicians walk by, I'll try to grab and see if we can ambush them into coming into our podcast but we'll see it's getting kind of late here so but hey so uh speaking of ambushes who has the topic for tonight it's you ryan what so busy oh, you're serious so busy getting uh ready for this conference i forgot to put together now i do have a topic okay <laughs> <laughs> that's a good change i know very like no i have one i have yeah, one it's very fun it's okay i'm prepared i'm prepared I, I got this i'll have to think about one for next week how perfect would it be if it was like and here to join me on this couch is thomas <laughs> thomas right thomas our friend from where's he from sweden sweden yeah i haven't seen him yeah. here yet good Guten, no. I'm trying to think of the sugar thing. They have the the. Lord's goodest. Thank you. Yeah. I switched it. Yeah. So no, there's no Thomas. Uh, Brene Brown was here a few years ago. She's not going to be joining me on this couch. It's just us and our topic. So, are you guys ready for this? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here is the ambush. Prepare yourself. People-pleasing, why do we do it? Are there pluses and minuses to people-pleasing? Should we stop? And if we should stop, how do we stop people-pleasing? Let's talk about people-pleasing tonight. Good topic. What's that, Brooke? I said okie-dokie. Okie-dokie, good, yes, let's talk about people-pleasing. This is something that comes up often in therapy sessions, I feel. Um, a lot of people who I've worked with coming to therapy talk a lot about 
it's it's a it's a boundary thing as well. Like I'm, I'm maybe giving more than I should, or I'm I'm trying to please people, trying to get their approval, and uh, oftentimes they find that that's disappointing for them, and it doesn't really you know, it doesn't really result in much. They don't get they don't get much back from that sometimes, so they feel like ah, oh, this people pleasing thing is like a trap that I can fall into. They have a hard time saying no. So I just thought this was a, a worthwhile topic to, to dive into. Yeah, I think so too. Um, from my perspective, I think there's, uh, you kind of just touched on this a bit, but I, th- I think it's worth exploring, if it's okay with you guys, the different reasons or purposes behind people pleasing. Yes. Because it might be looking for that um, reassurance or acceptance from someone, but it can also be a nervous system response instead of right like in so it's like fawning people pleasing please and appease Mm -hmm. um yeah and that would be different that's avoidance of threat right versus acceptance so anyways it would be great to hear if you guys think that there's uh different purposes to it brooke can you flesh out that fawning thing for a second because i think that's an important uh point actually yeah i didn't wasn't sure if we wanted to do that right now, but I can. Yeah. So when we're talking about like fight, flight, freeze, you can also fawn, which is like please and appease. Um, and when that happens, it's essentially a patterned behavior that was used to protect yourself from threat, typically from an upbringing where there was a toxic relationship between in the household and it was a protective strategy. So if I please, uh, and appease if I make sure everything is done your way, or if I uh, just agree with you all the time, then you're not going to get angry with me. You're not going to yell at me. You're not going to throw something. You're not going to hit me. Mm. So I'm going to be, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of so you don't explode. And then fast forward in life, then that can come up when there's uh, altercations at, at work or confrontation at all, whether that's with a partner or a friend or a child, and it could get thrown into this. You're right. You're right. I'm just going to do what you want because I, I don't want you to be upset um, piece of it. Right. So it's caring for the other's needs before you. Um, so almost a deeper level of that people pleasing. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, like, People pleasing, does that have a positive or a negative connotation to you? Yeah, good question. Negative. Negative. But if you were to tell me the person has an attitude of servitude, I would say it's positive. Like if they genuinely want to just do nice things for people. Yeah. Yeah. So would it be the the term pleasing that uh, would make it a bit more of a a uh, negative term? I think it's probably what, I think if someone said someone's a people pleaser, I think it's just hard not to put our own bias on that already, just based on what we know. I think it's just, I feel like it's tended to be more negative. I don't, but there's, when you look at people pleasing, you're like, oh, great. They like to make others happy. They've been helpful. They're being kind. Yeah, yeah. uh, I think within our field, we often see that as a, um, it could be an unhelpful, like a defense mechanism it could be. Um, or an overcompensation for something. I think yeah. it could be both. 
I think there is some positives. I think for people who genuinely just might be compassionate about others um, and want to just do like help out, like just, you know, putting their needs in front of my eyes, want to do something nice for them. But I think there, it could also be the negative where it's out of a place of maybe fear of rejection or um, you might do something for them because you want them to do something for you. It might be with some expectation there. There could be some reasons behind that. But yeah, I think I agree. I think, I think they're like, take someone who's a really good host, throws really great parties and really makes everyone feel comfortable and welcome and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's pleasing going on there, right? <clears throat> you know, they're, they're a pleasurable person. They are accommodating in, in nice ways that make people feel comfortable or someone who's a really great gift giver, you know, and very thoughtful and very considerate and give something to you. That's really meaningful. So there, it's, we're not saying that, that kindness is a bad thing or that uh, generosity or thoughtfulness is a bad thing. I think that the people-pleasing, the problem with people-pleasing comes when it's at, uh, maybe at a cost, at the cost of someone else's authenticity or at, uh, where they're giving something more than, they're giving something that's beyond what they would comfortable giving otherwise and and, and maybe so, it's the, the motivation so maybe where it's coming from the intention behind it yeah i like that that term motivation what's the motivation of people pleasing is it to make a genuine impact and help uplift someone because that reminds you of compassion right it gives them a boost easier suffering or is it a way to uh, avoid negative attention or um or something stemming from your past right oh yes yeah, and I think we, we're, we're kind of talking about uh, different different manifestations of fear, right? There's a fear. What if I don't do this, right? If I don't do this, then what, right? Oh, you you won't like me anymore. You'll reject me. You'll abandon uh, me, something like that. Mm -hmm. Versus more of a, a, a servitude pleasing is not coming from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Certainly. Okay. Yeah. So, so we can see. So the, the 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 pluses of being a people pleaser, uh, as it is with a lot of sort of psychological issues, is is it a lot of times tends to work, and that's why people continue to be a people pleaser, right? Like like Brooke is talking about. If I'm afraid of of a negative repercussion from this person and I just please them instead, then I might avoid that negative repercussion. I might avoid the punishment. Yeah. And so that, to the that, detriment or sacrifice of yourself, yeah. right? You're, you're going to be sacrificing something, comfort, values, morals, beliefs, time, energy, resources, all kinds of things. Yeah. And sometimes it's not reciprocated, right? I'm not saying that you need to be kind and compassionate because you want something out of it, but sometimes that can be taken advantage of. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oftentimes, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but oftentimes when I'm talking with, with people pleasers, they'll talk about all the people in their lives who are more than happy to take, take, take from them, but don't give anything back. And it's like, it's almost like the, the people pleasers and the takers kind of find each other. Like you're all, mm -hmm. 
you know, or the symbiotic relationship. Like, oh, great, you're going to give to me? Well, I'll just take from you. And that's just what we do. And then the, 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 the taker feels great. Oh, good. You, this is someone who's just going to serve my needs all the time. The giver feels depleted. It's like, oh, I just keep giving, giving, giving. And it's like never enough or never, nothing ever comes back. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people might not realize how much they're people pleasing, right? Like they might not, uh, I don't know. I just think of like teens who just want to fit in. Like there's, you know, they might people please because they want to belong and they might not realize that it's going to be depleting them or uh, really negative for them. And maybe until after some time, or maybe they do know it, but they'd rather just fit in or they don't want to yeah, have people be upset with them. Or I don't know. I think of, yeah, I think of youth. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to make friends and find a place. And yeah, but I just wonder if it's, I think some people need to have it pointed out to them. Like, how are you actually doing? I noticed signs here that you're actually doing a lot of people pleasing and you're not, you're not receiving a lot. How are you actually doing? So I wonder if people are as aware of that as they could be at times. Well, that's a great, it It could be conditioned or they're just used to it from being a kid. And that's just, it's, it's a comfortable uncomfortableness. Maybe. That's a great point that, that, yeah, it's been so maybe ingrained in a person. They've been doing that their whole life. It almost becomes, kind of fused with their identity. This is just who I am. I'm someone who just does, gives, gives, gives until I'm totally depleted. We can't, we can't imagine not doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what, what does happen if someone, like what have you seen or, or experienced when people pleasing kind of runs amok like what are the the downsides i think a lot of boundaries get crossed right if you have your own like so a lot of potentially unhealthy relationships and like you said being run down your resources there might be a sense of um just generally not being accepted or a sense where you're not feeling like you belong and um and, but I agree with you, Ryan, that when, also when it runs amok, when somebody starts to become, that becomes part of their identity where they don't know what else to do, um, they tie their personal sense of purpose into it, where it can get a little bit and like, uh, we get into some hot water or some trouble there. So if it's, let's say it's a parent, and now the children are adults and maybe the spouse is no longer around there's no one to please for and all of a sudden there's a giant sense of loss or grief or identity collapse where everything was so tied to another in that behavior so i've definitely seen that happen it's very interesting yes it is Yeah, I think that balance is so key. Like if the people pleasing is getting in the way of, of other aspects of your life, because sometimes it can become so slanted. I met a client today where she makes um, other people's needs the priority over herself. So she is the exception to that compassion and it's impacting her mental health and well-being. So, um, yeah, I feel that, <clears throat> yeah, that, that balance, that self-care is, is compromised by, by the people pleasing. Yes. 
it's interesting. I've, as I'm thinking about this, I've had a few clients who, who even, you know, know that people pleasing is kind of an issue for them. And they've talked about how one of the things they like about therapy is that is, is actually that they pay, they pay for it. And they know that their payment is all they really have to do. Like they don't have to give to me beyond that. So it feels good to kind of pay for the therapy session um, because that's kind of the end of their obligation. And they're like, whew, good. <laughs> you know, here's the fee. Now I can just be real. Now I can just kind of, I've given you all that I need to. So now I can just uh, be myself the rest of this time. Mm-hmm. Which is- yeah, and I, I think that happens. But other clients, I'm, I'm sure you guys can all have these moments where a client says, I wasn't sure if I was going to tell you because I didn't want to disappoint you. Oh, there's definitely sure. Yeah. Right. And that like, I, I want to please you or look how well I did my homework or yes, I made sure like, but not in a compliance way in a look how good I did way. Yeah. You asked me to do the thing and I'm coming back and I've done the thing or, or, or I didn't do the thing. And I'm really worried that now you're going to be very angry with me and you're not going to want to work with me as a client. And so you start to see those behaviors come up too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Good point. Certainly. Yeah. Having a hard time saying no, like those boundaries that you're talking about, Brooke and, um, or even like that, that, like the fact that some people need others to like them, like they, they, they yearn for that validation from, from others. Right. And another, um, thing I've noticed in my clients is, is some low self-esteem or self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they kind of, gain a bit of that self-worth from that approval from others. Absolutely. Sure. Well, and that, and that, that kind of commodifies the relationship, right? Like I'm only worth as much as I give to you, right? Or as long as you're pleased with what I'm giving to you, then we're okay. And there isn't that sort of um, that, that security really in the relationship to, be able to say, yeah, we're okay. I can have a bad day or I can, mess something up once in a while or something like that. We're going to be fine. Um, it's like, I yeah. constantly need to kind of prove to you and receive that feedback from you that we're okay. Yeah. Do you feel that um, like frustration or resentment starts to grow with some people pleasers? Like, would you see that as a warning sign? Yeah. I think oh, yeah. so. Right. Just, um, yeah, kind of Ryan, what you were saying earlier with people, pleasers who are then, they're able to acknowledge that they're exhausted because the other people are taking and the other people aren't giving. Um, I think that that's the, that start of acknowledgement of resentment or hurt or, yeah. And then it becomes personal, like, so what I'm giving isn't enough for me to be loved. Absolutely. What, just what. Yeah. Yeah. Just feeling the, the, the depletion of that. And yeah, someone feeling like, gosh, I've, I've given so much and there's a little martyr stuff that can come into this too, uh, of like, mm-hmm. I've, I've given so much to you and I don't get anything back. You know, like if they're, if a person's expecting pure equity in a relationship, like I will give to you five, units of something i need five units of something back and if that doesn't happen then they start to feel the depletion and maybe some resentment as a result of that. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Absolutely, that was not so. So how do we how do we work with this? How does someone work on like if you acknowledge maybe people who are listening right now might be like, hmm, yeah, I think I might have some people pleasing tendencies, or yeah, I think I, I do this quite a bit. What uh, what can we tell them? What do you think people can do to help curb or change some of these people pleasing tendencies? I think there could be just working on boundaries, um, maybe working on building some assertiveness or telling yourself it's okay to say no. That's all. It's okay to say no when any reaction on the other person's part, it's that's a them issue. That's not a you. You're not responsible for their feelings. So it's um, really letting them know that they're allowed to do that and it's okay. Yeah. And that might come in very small baby steps. Totally. It yeah. might be uh, if somebody offers you a drink and you say no, like that or something, right? Like you can, you can say no um, in a safe, safe way. Uh, one of my clients, big people pleaser, I like to do, you know, uh, sometimes bold things. And so I, I got her to stand up and do like the power stance. And this gal at the time was like, I don't know, late fifties and history, like big history of people pleasing to like her family of origin and her own children and all the rest of it. So I got her to stand up in session and put her hands on her hips, like the Peter Pan pose mm -hmm. and, and look at me and say, no, <laughs> she had to, <laughs> and then I got her to do it a few times. And then I got her to just like stomp her foot and say it. And she just like broke out giggling because this seemed like the most ridiculous thing to her. But she, the next move she made is not necessarily say no next time something happened where she wanted to say no and felt like she couldn't, but she giggled to herself because that image came back where she, she kind of felt an internal power of like, I know what that would feel like to say no. And so, and then she did say no to something and it was a small thing and she would come in and just be so excited to tell me about it, whether or not that was people pleasing. I don't know if she actually did the thing. <laughs> she was just trying to please me by telling me that, but yeah. So sometimes um, taking that one step further can be really helpful, like role-playing what that would be to say no. I like that. You could start off with things that are like, even you asking, you could be like, I want you to give me all your money right now. She'd be like, no, you're like, okay, exactly. And no fair. And then just start out with those things. And then maybe more things that are closer to home. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So practicing in a really safe way, that's a little bit silly, but bold, like stretch it too far and then pull it back almost. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I like how uh, you practice that in session, right? Yeah. And uh, because, you know, intonation, like how you say it is so important, right? It's not yeah. like, no, you want to find that no. voice, not the other yell at people when they ask you to do something, no, but just, uh, you know, just saying it because it, it can be very difficult for people to say, to say that, that little two letter word, right? Or to even have the posture. Like, so this client would typically, sit feet together, knees together, hands in lap, shoulders down, kind of slunch forward, would still look up, but very, her body position was always small. Yeah. 
So to make her stand up and do a power pose was, she, she has a lot of trust in me. We had been working together for years at this point. So yeah. she went with it and I did it with her. I was like, I'll stand here with you. And I was like, now you have to tell me, tell me no. Yeah. I'm not going to get mad at you. Tell me no. Yeah. And we hope that builds a bit of motivation or uh, kind of makes a bit of a mental shift. And then maybe coaching clients on how you would go about saying no. So you don't want to do so disrespectfully or abruptly. You don't want that to impact your relationships, your friendships. So it's more as like, you know, oh, uh, I won't be able to do that. I, I have to go run this errand or um, I'm actually this afternoon, I'm busy. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm going for a walk or whatever it might be, right? Just but trying to come up with ways to respond to those scenarios. Well, or even, or even, I was just going to say, or even, I mean, instead of even putting it on like I'm busy or I have something else to do, but just be able to say, you know, that's really not my thing, but uh, you know, what else can we do together? You know, something that's like, that's, I'm just not interested in that, but how about something else, right? Yeah, good Ryan, point. I was yeah. going to I was going to say the same along the same lines there. Yeah, because there's a lot of clients tends to be more women that feel like they need to make an excuse for the no. Mm-hmm. Or in my experience where it's they sorry, I can't. I have this other thing opposed to just taking ownership to say um, I'm not able to. Or no, yeah, thank I- you. Period. I don't have to explain my no. Yeah. And that is uh, really empowering to be able to just say no. Yeah. Do you think that might be shocking for some people to hear that no? Like, uh, would you yeah. encourage people to maybe just maybe passionate or not, but delve into it a bit and say, you know, for I've been making everyone else in my life such a big priority, but I'm neglecting my own needs. I just need to, I'm going to be a little more assertive moving forward. Like, what do you think? Whenever, whenever I work with clients and about, Uh, regarding boundaries, I always kind of warn them about the fact that if they haven't had great boundaries in the past, then the people you interact with are going to respond when you start setting boundaries, right? Because they're, they're expecting you to be kind of a pushover. Mm -hmm. Hey, I need you to help me move this Saturday. They're expecting you to say, okay, sure. What time, you know, but if you suddenly say, you know what, that's really not my thing. I'm going to, I'll help you decorate when you get in. Uh, the people are going to, that's a little starting for the others because they're going to be like, oh, wait, oh, I thought you were a pushover. <laughs> like, oh, I thought uh, you were a people pleaser and I could just kind of take advantage of that. So they have to kind of prepare themselves for the other people's reaction a little bit and kind of stay strong in that, uh, that stance. And I think you would be surprised, like, uh, if you start listening to when people say no and give reasons, like there's probably going to be a lot of situations where you're like, oh yeah, you, you could take that second part out. So if I were to offer you a cup of coffee and you're a people pleaser and you just say yes, and then never drink the coffee versus just saying, no, thank you. You don't have to say, no, thank you. I don't like coffee. You can just say, no, thank you. And it's fine. Um, some situations might warrant a bit more of an explanation, but for the majority of things, people are okay with you just saying, sorry, I'm not able to, or no, thank you, or uh, whatever it may be. And it also, I'm thinking of a, of a couple clients who, who said they would do something and, and then coming back and saying, you know what, actually I've changed my mind. I'm, I'm not, not going to do that. Um, my, my, it, my counsel to them was don't overload the other person with a bunch of 
reasons why, because that gives the other person opportunities to kind of poke holes in it. Like, mm. oh, well, if you don't like coffee, then how about tea or water? You know, so, you know, whatever that might be. Well, if you can't help me with this, then how about this, that, or the other? Or, or well, if you can't come at 10, can you come at noon? And sometimes just saying no and just making that the final statement is the best approach. You give too many, yeah. too many things, you're actually giving other people an opportunity to poke holes in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend, I'm going to, oh, I can't do that. I was going to try to share, share something on the screen here, but oh. have you guys heard of the Bill of Assertive Rights? I don't think so. Uh, something way back there is lighting up. Yeah, I think, uh, okay, so let's see. Was it see the inner if... master's programs? Was it at Adler? Oh, I can't do that. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Um, I'm so I was told this by my friend Jess. So everyone knows Jess. She came to uh, DC, and so she talks about how she goes over. If you look up Bill of Assertive Rights PDF, it's the second link when you Google it, and it's a really good thing for people to read because it's like it talks about you have the right um, to offer no reasons or excuses for justifying your behavior. You have the right to say no. You have the right to change your mind. You have the right to say I don't understand. You have the right to be independent of the goodwills of others while coping with them, um, before coping with them. So all these things, you have the right to be treated with respect. You have the right to ask questions. And number 20 is you have the right to exercise any and all of these rights without feeling guilty. Um, so it goes through all of these. So I think it's just all of what we're talking about. It's a good reminder. We all have the right to all these things. Like it's not something we need to justify. We, so I think it's just, I think people need to hear that sometimes, right? I can do this without needing to justify it. There you go. So for those looking on YouTube or can take a peek, but again, Google it and it'll be the second link, but I think it's, uh, so this is something my friend, Jess, who's also a counselor, uh, goes over with some clients of hers and she finds it can be really helpful, especially for those people who, um, yeah, need that reminder. And if you are a listener tonight um, and you are not a people pleaser, maybe you know a people pleaser and, uh, or even if it's not a people pleaser, if you're a listener and someone says no, maybe be aware that you you don't have to ask why. (laughs) So the ownership isn't just on the person trying to put the boundary, it's on the receiver of the boundary to say, I respect that you've said no. Yep. That's a great point. And if, yeah. And if you like, if you're worried about that person, then I would encourage you to have a follow-up, like gentle, exactly. Approaching it with curiosity and gentleness. Um, But otherwise to say, okay, and Mm -hmm. leave it. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yep. 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 That goes a long way. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of people have a hard time accepting boundaries. They want to know, how come and why and are you busy or what about and like you don't need to know <laughs> just say okay yeah but you're right if you say why it would be a gentle and curious way of saying it versus a why why not like it's just such a difference and i think we could all probably come up with examples of how we you know we've either maybe responded to people that way or been responded to and it's, it's not fun because then you feel like you can't say no next time or have to have some really good reason and that's just silly silliness yeah there is a a dynamic there within that friendship that eventually needs to be corrected under the right circumstances when it makes sense to kind of delve into that a bit how do you mean 
Well, I mean, like if, um, yeah, um, I, I think it's, if it's the right individual in person, it might make sense to, to share your observations and say, um, oh, you have something to say there, Joe? Oh, no, sorry. I want to, I, I have an example of me. Okay, yeah, go Right, go for it. I don't know. I just thinking if like if someone were to respond in a, a seemingly judgmental tone, you can just be like, when I hear you say ask that way or say that, it makes me, you know, feel like I'm being judged or it make like I'm wondering if you realize how that's coming across or something like that. I don't know if that would be like calling attention to it. I don't know if that would be what you're meaning. Yeah, there might be a dynamic there in that friendship that you're hoping to to shift and correct, right? So Maybe call a spade a spade. And if it's something that you care about, something someone cares about you, then you might be able to, to talk about that and share your feelings about that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I statements are really good for that, right? To be able to say, uh, like, hey, I'm I'm get I'm feeling really angry or frustrated that I put a boundary and you're pushing me on it. <laughs> like, sure. Can you please just accept my boundary? Yeah. Yeah. Or you can say, I can understand how that might be a bit of a shock for you because typically I would say yes and do whatever I can to support you. But I've realized over the past while I've been neglecting my own needs and it's important for me to to say no. Right. I feel like if someone says that, you'd be like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There would be like this this stare and then like a long blank. uh, All right. Well, did you see the news? I know. Can't really uh, have a, yeah. uh, speaking, going back to the, the, the therapy thing, um, I once wrote a, a, a blog called uh, The World's Best Therapy Client, where I talked about people coming to therapy kind of in a, in a people-pleasing sort of place. Like, I want to do really good. I want to do all the homework, and I want to, you know, agree with what you're saying, and I want to do, you know, I want to be a good student. And, and I talk about how, you know, in, in many places in life, that's rewarded. And that's kind of the right thing to do. When you're a student, you should do your homework. And when you are at, you know, in a job, maybe you should do what the boss asks you to do, that sort of thing. But but in therapy, it, it works differently. And the, the goal of therapy is not to be perfect or to be, you know, the ideal client in that sort of way. The goal of therapy is to be authentic. You know, so to come in and, and really be honest about what you're talking, what you're feeling, even if you're upset with your therapist, or even if you have, you know, a disagreement or you're having a bad day or something the therapist suggested you tried and it didn't work. I mean, to come into therapy and just to really be authentic is, is the, the main goal. And I actually think that's when we're talking about friendships, when we're talking about family, I think that's, that's more appropriate for that as well. Like it, so it, it changes the, um, the focus. If we're talking about this people pleasing thing, instead of trying to be the best ex, the best partner, the best friend, um, maybe it's trying to be the most authentic person and be your real self with this person. And some people, I mean, in, in healthy relationships, that's going to be uh, accepted and people are going to embrace that and be like, great. Yeah, absolutely. But you might also find that maybe some of these friendships or relationships are, are not uh, conducive to authenticity. You know, you might find that, I mean, this is kind of the, the, the downside to this. If you are 
going to be authentic and real with, with some of your friends, you might find that some of these friends don't don't want that. They don't want you to be real and authentic with them. They actually liked you better when you were just people pleasing all the time. And that might not be the best thing for you. So, I mean, I say that as kind of a, kind of the downer, like if you've, if you've been in, in uh, people pleasing friendships for, for many years and you suddenly stop, that might not sit well with the other people because they might not want a friend who is real with them. They might just want someone who serves them. And that might mm-hmm. not be a good friendship. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, mm-hmm. I think there's another uh, part to this too, is the why, like back to what we're talking about, defense mechanisms and, you know, um, trauma comes into it as well, or challenging situations that you experienced in the past. And, uh, uh, you know, I think going back to the childhood time or teenage years, often there's some clues there as to what happened that maybe led to these people-pleasing behaviors. So I had a client today, for instance, a huge people-pleaser, neglecting her own needs and uh, feeling quite frustrated and resentful for that. And um, so we kind of delved into it a bit and her father was an alcoholic. And mm. so she did everything she could to not um, have have him you know, verbally uh, yell at her or whatever that might be right so she learned that people pleasing going above and beyond just to to make sure he was happy and others and and that was the best way for her to to navigate through that situation so just one example of how a past challenge can can change or, or create a people pleasing mentality and it was probably very effective at the time maybe his uh, providing her with some hiccups or challenges now for sure. I think based on what she was facing, um, absolutely. It made sense under those circumstances, but right now, maybe not as much, right? Yeah. So, so I guess therapeutically then, you know, she had a chance to kind of um, connect those, the dots a bit there and try to understand what was going on. Like we've talked a lot about importance of building awareness of these patterns and once you have the awareness you can respond a little differently and not react the way that you typically do also encourage her to do a bit of writing too to maybe just to process some of those feelings and and i think uh within our counseling sessions we'll explore that, that those traumatic times in a little more depth i don't know how it is for you guys but i've had the experience of at times in the past when I've had a, a client who's kind of a people pleaser and they've been able to come in and say to me, Hey, I didn't like what you did last time. Or, you know, you were three minutes late today and that bothered me or, you know, something like that. And for me, uh, I, I, when I hear that, I'm like, right on. That's great. <laughs> I'm so glad you're able to express that to me. It's, it's, it's kind of the weird thing about therapy. Like sometimes yeah. as, as therapists, one of the biggest victories we can ever have is having a, a client get mad at us. Like, yes, yeah. congratulations. You were able to break through that people pleasing thing and say something that might be a little disappointing or, or painful or whatever, but good for you to be able to do that here with me in this session. Yeah, yeah that's a really I good agree. point. 
Yeah. yeah. It's funny how when clients give you or give us like just really positive feedback, like if they're rate, using a rating scale and 10 out of 10, or that was, you know, everything's just going super so far therapeutically in your mind, you know, that's probably a bad thing because they're taking care of you, right? They're are worried or, or um, cautious about what they're saying because they want to please you as a therapist. And that's actually the opposite of what we want. We say, no, we want that genuine, honest feedback and more feedback, the better. Can't do much about the way I physically look, but everything else is fair game. You know, let us have it. So, I mean, it, it almost feels a little masochistic as a therapist, but, you know, a client comes in and says, you really pissed me off. I'm like, great. Thank God. Great. Wonderful for you to say that to me. You know? Yeah. You know, not, not great sure. that I've made them mad, but great that they can express that. Great that they can, you yeah. know, bust, bust through any fear they had. Or, and really great that they feel safe enough to be able to say that to me. That's really what it's about. Yeah. Because we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. And, you know, if you can, if you can point out one of my mistakes and, and tell me about it, then great. We've got a real relationship, a, a, a resilient relationship that can handle that sort of thing, you know? Kind of a weird thing, but I, I like that. <laughs> One of the weird idiosyncrasies of being a therapist, right? Yeah. How we measure success looks a little different, right? It looks a little different, right? Totally. It's good. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm kind of known for, for asking this question, but have any of you guys ever dealt with uh, people pleasing at all? Have you ever had to deal with this in your own life? Personal or professional life? Personal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely have a, a people pleaser in uh, my family and historically. And yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I could say the same. Yeah, for me, I, I think back to the teenage years, you know, um, I was talking to uh, another client about this today, how, you know, as a child, you, you kind of want that approval and support from your parents. And then that kind of shifts a bit. And then you put all the, you want to focus more on your peers, your friends, and that's, you know, you want to develop those strong connections. But I know in high school, um, you know, you, you have some friends from elementary school, but you're also meeting some new people and you want it to go well. And you don't want to get that negative attention from others because you feel so vulnerable. It's a, it can be a very awkward um, time. So that definitely stood out to me as a time where people pleasing was a little more prevalent for me. Yep. Mm -hmm. What about yeah. you, Ryan? Oh yeah, sure. You know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged man and I still deal with people pleasing once in a while you know someone I, sometimes it comes in the form of like like flattery someone says oh hey you know you know how to write or you're you're good at this or that so can you help me with this and i feel like oh i need to jump and help them with something um i have to i have to really take stock of like okay what's what's gonna be best for me here like is this is this something i really want to do or am i just doing this because they want me to do it um you know, I have uh, oftentimes like people will, like journalists will reach out to me and say, hey, can you comment on this thing? And I'm like, oh, it's so flattering. I would be happy to. 
but sometimes it's, it's, I don't have the time for it. I don't have the energy or maybe I don't even have the expertise. It's not my, my area of focus. And so I'm still, still in, in middle age having to kind of work on finding that line of being able to say, you know what, I'm going to have to disappoint you, which is really the, the painful part. I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to be that, that person you want me to be. I'm going to say no and, uh, and turn you down. But even then I oftentimes am like, I can't do it, but I'll do a little work and be like, but how about these other people? Maybe they could do it for you. Instead. Yeah. Kind of soften the blow. But yeah, I, I certainly deal with that oftentimes. So, yeah, I'm you know. sure that deep down, it's, uh, you know, Chris, I'll steal your point that you haven't brought up yet. I was wondering when it would come up, but in an evolutionary perspective, I'm sure people pleasing was very valuable to mm -hmm. us, right? There would need to be some people pleasing to suss out if that's the tribe you want to join, if they want you to accept, be accepted into their tribe and um, to build relationship and there, there would be an element of people pleasing in there. People pleasing can be very functional. It's just, we don't want it to be a, become a trait for someone that gets in the way of their lives and leads to sacrifice to their detriment. Um, or if it's becoming an automatic response in the face of threat, if it's, if it's causing trouble, we want to fine tune it, but we probably all have a little bit in us. I think you're right. Totally. I think you're right. So, at the risk of disappointing some listeners who are like, man, I just want to listen to this thing for like four or five <laughs> hours. We're, we're not going to people please, you guys. We're going to say no. We're going to cut it short right now. We're going to say goodnight to everybody. <laughs> and... Uh, and the podcast. So great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for contributing. It's a fun topic. Uh, so that's it, everybody. Please like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Send your questions to info at bellowbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend or two. Or if you're a people pleaser, tell 20. And good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. NBC, Ryan. Will do.